Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed Marks, Digital Voices. Today, really fascinating discussion with Virtua Health and the leaders there in what I call all things digital and telehealth. And so this is like really practical, like people who are actually doing this. And I think you'll love their insights and the wisdom that they have to share. But before we get there on digital transformation, Megan, uh, when you hear the words digital transformation, because you've been with me now doing these podcasts for a while, what what are some things that come to mind? Um, All kinds of things. But I guess in a nutshell, it's just transforming and improving the way things are done in an organization, within culture, within customer and experiences, just making things better. Yeah. Digital. No, I think that's uh, pretty spot on. And you're gonna, we're going to hear a lot about that in terms of patient care and patient experience. So our two guests from Virtual Health, Daniel Wilson, she's the Assistant Vice President of Digital Transformation, and Dr. Angela Skrinsky, who is the lead for telehealth lead physician for telehealth. And uh, both of them, I would say, are digital health enthusiasts and really good leaders. So we're going to learn a lot. So the first time we met was actually very recently because I heard about all the great things being done at Virtual Health. And I love real practical, you know, world examples. And so it was like we connected and they shared with me what they're doing. And I thought it was pretty incredible. And I said, please, please, please uh, be on our podcast. And they agreed. So I'm going to start first with you, uh, Danielle. What are the songs in your playlist? Everyone always wants to know from our guests because they're always looking for new music. Uh, what sort of music do you listen to when you chill? Yeah, I love this this question. Um, and and Angela and I talked about it. And I and I feel that recently I've been listening to uh, Sergio Mendes Brazil '66. Um, really recently, a lot a lot of like samba music. Um, but yeah, I, I always have like a, a reoccurring Grateful Dead theme going on as well in, in my playlist. Yeah. And, and if anyone is unfamiliar, they need to look that up on YouTube. Uh, Sergio Mendez doing uh, Route 66. It's it's just so awesome on so many levels. So I, I love that. What about you, Angela? So and I thought very eclectic uh, music taste. Every, you can find everything from... Um, international music, of course, a little bit of Bollywood, but my most frequently played is definitely going to be top 40, whatever's top 40 in at that moment. Yeah, that's cool. That's always a safe, safe bet too, but I, I'm with you on, uh, Bollywood. I think we talked about, uh, off, off camera, um, about our, uh, shared passion in, in that area. Uh, so what about passion and life message? So we'll stick with you, Angela. Is there some sort of guiding principles or life message passion that you have that, you know, keeps you on the straight and narrow? Uh, I, I don't know how good I am at it a hundred percent of the time, but I think tra- just trying to do good, you know, trying to do good in the world. And I think I'm very lucky that what I do in my career day to day allows me to hopefully do that for others. No, that's great. What about you, Daniel? Um, I think my brain is a little wired engineer. Uh, I feel like I was trained that way. And, and so um, there's this quote that I love. It, it says, never increase beyond what is necessary, the number of entities required to explain anything. Um, and you can take that to an extreme, of course, but 
I really think from a solutions perspective, I really try to live by that. And I really try to bring that to the table in the work that we do. Um, it's really a smart way to think about things. It makes things simple and it really gets to that lowest common denominator of what we're trying to do. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I wrote down yeah, simplicity. It's like, Steve Jobs talked about that, right? Taking the complexity and stuff and making it as simple as possible and look what happened as a result is pretty incredible. So we'll continue with you, Danielle. Tell us a little bit about your story, personal, professional, and how you got to where you are. And then uh, we'll ask uh, Angela the same question. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from South Florida um, and I've been doing IT work my whole career. Um, I moved to the Northeast, um, maybe 20 years ago, almost, um, you know, followed the love of my life <laughs> and, uh, luckily we're still together <laughs> and I've been in New Jersey ever since. Um, I was really fortunate to, um, work at a couple different, um, healthcare organizations and, um, really fell in love with, with healthcare IT. That's great. What was your first role in healthcare IT specifically that sort of got you down this path to where, where you are today? So, so I started at a disability organization, um, which, which is now it's called the ARC of the United States. And I did um, IT database administration. This was before anything fancy from vendors with like a nice GUI system was in place, right? So this was like your old access databases and um, they needed a place to track their HR training, you know, like yeah. a modern day LMS essentially. And so that was my first role doing um, IT work. And it, it was really to, to track for the, quality of care and the, and the training uh, credential requirements for the people who are taking care of that population. Oh, that's great. It's always interesting to see what people's first jobs, jobs were let, that got them you know, to where they are today in terms of the actual uh, sort of tech or digital track. What about you, Angela? What's your sort of story, personal, professional? Yeah, so I, you know, I'm a physician by training. Um, I completed my residency in family medicine and then did a fellowship in sleep medicine. And I joined Virtua as a primary care physician. And um, when the pandemic hit, it was really my first entree into the digital world uh, to the degree that, you know, I'm involved in it now. So um, we, we started doing, we, we started up a COVID on demand telehealth service. And the idea was to service the community, all these questions that they were having, you know, set them up with testing, give them isolation guidance. If you recall, if you can rewind back to that time, things were so new and this was a very much needed service. Um, and I, I was a part of that um, service line and I, I fell in love with it. And so I have stuck around ever since. No, that's great. And you had mentioned that you were a physician and what, what was the catalyst and was it, maybe you already answered it in the, in the COVID on demand, but had you dabbled in technology? Were you exposed to technology prior to that? 
You know, it's interesting. I always consider myself very lucky because I feel like I sort of fell into this role. And yet, um, I have always really had a strong interest in technology and healthcare. It's always been an interest of mine, but I also didn't have very much exposure to it outside of, you know, our electronic health records and things like that. My very first telemedicine visit that I ever did with a patient was in March of 2020. So since then, I've uh, moved from, do, you know, I still see patients in telemedicine, but also um, work behind the scenes with Danielle very closely and, a, and an excellent team on the digital transformation side um, to clinically operate, you know, all of the all of the wonderful things that we're doing and they're always buried in many of them. But um, so I've really seen things from from the other side, not just the clinician side now. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. And and I love and we might get into it a little bit later, but if not, I, I already we already talked again off offline about uh, you, you all both have so much to share that, you know, maybe we'll have a, a part two at some point because uh, the relationship that the two of you have is is very unique and very beneficial, obviously, for not just the organization, but the patients that you serve. So speaking of patients that you serve and your organization, uh, Danielle, can you tell us a little bit about virtual health? So I'm familiar with virtual health, but for our audience that might not know. Can you uh, enlighten us, please? Yeah. Virtual Health is um, a hospital system in southern New Jersey. Um, We are right near Philadelphia over the river. Uh, We have five hospitals. Um, We have seven EDs. We have, I believe, uh, over a thousand employed physicians in our medical group and around 3,000 Positions on medical staff. We are, I believe, almost 15,000 employees at this time. And we have a lot of partnerships in the region. Um, we are um, very close with Rowan University. Um, we have um, Penn Medicine at Virtua. We partner with Children's Hospital Philadelphia, CHOP at Virtua. Um, so uh, we offer a lot of services in the region. No, it's very cool. Yeah, it's a, gr- a great organization. So, Angela, digital is always evolving. And certainly, uh, Danielle, you can jump in as well. Uh, digital is always evolving, obviously. And how do you keep up? So this is more along the lines of of leadership. And you're doing this great stuff with uh, virtual care. But, you know, there's new things coming out all the time. And uh, it's it can make your head spin at times. So how do you how do you keep up with all the evolution that's taking place? It's a great question, Ed, because there really is so much that is constantly changing. Um, And so I think our motivation always is keeping the consumer and the patient in, in full view. And we know that we need to offer services to patients so that they can get to us faster, get to us in the ways that they want to get to us from the comfort of their home, offering convenience and safety and reduced exposure. So keeping that at the forefront allows us to sort of expedite things, gives us that fire um, to move quickly when we need to. But I think what we've realized as an organization and as a team is that it's really important to get things to our patients soon and if it's you know we're not looking for it to be 100% completed and perfected we really iterate all the time and so we we've become comfortable with launching things that are you know 80 90% of the way there of course they're always clinically 100% of the way there but maybe the interface isn't as easy to use as we like maybe there's not as much optionality 
as we would want our patients to have. But we go ahead and we watch and we use our experience in our sort of pilots to learn and create and innovate constantly. Um, and I think that's our evolution. Yeah, I I agree with Angela. And, and to piggyback on that, I think from from a project execution perspective, absolutely. You know, if you wait a year to go live with something, you've missed that entire year of potentially giving them some type of product. Um, again, not perfection and allowing some sort of automation, some sort of digital engagement. And then the staff that you do have, um, it's not replacing them. They can then spend time on more complex issues. Um, we've moved away from that 99%, 100% uh, viability. That's just not possible. And it's a, honestly, in IT, it's a maintenance nightmare. Um, that's not yeah. realistic. And you can't move fast to get that kind of 100%. Um, and so we have a great team um, and, and partners without, in the organization that um, have bought into that concept and they've seen success. And now everyone's moving that way. One of the earlier things you said, though, Ed, was digital is evolving and, and there's so much stuff out there. And, and this is actually a, a topic that we recently were talking about with the team. There is so much out there. And I think each hospital in the re in a region, right? We talk to a lot of hospitals to get feedback, lessons learned on things that they've done. They may be ahead and have done something digital two years ago or three years ago that we are just right. doing now. And we, we may be ahead in another thing because the region or the hospital had the appetite for it, or maybe the competitors were doing it. So then we had to rush to prioritize something else. So sometimes even though there's so much going on, you're actually reacting to what's around you as well and, and where the organization has the right combination to, to move something forward. Yeah, I love that. And you, you, I think you all know this already, but you're, you're very blessed to be in that sort of culture because not all of your peers, you know, our peers are, are there yet. And uh, so that's, that's pretty cool that you've done that. How, how do you integrate digital then with operations? Because you talked about sort of this team of teams and clearly there's this integration. So how did you do that? Because again, that's sort of where, where some of the peers are sort of struggling. Like you might have great digital, but no integration in operations or operations might want to do things that are forward thinking, but the, the tech or digital people aren't there yet. So how do you all do it? So, so a couple different ways. And, and I have heard those same comments. You're right from, from our peers. Um, our digital office is actually an operational support arm. So um, we partner and act as an operational unit for them. Um, and then we work with IT, again, as partners and come together to operations. That didn't just start from scratch. There was governance structures that were put in place. There was a lot of conversations globally to say, how do we do this best for the patient? And we had executive buy-in. And that's really important when those types of conversations that you hear, IT wants to go one place, operations isn't going there, operations wants to go one place, IT is not there. It's really important to have support globally from the top. Um, and I know that that sounds, it's easier said than done. It, it truly is, but that alignment 
is key in getting that influence. And, and I will also say that the team makeup, once you get that alignment and you're ready to start, it's easy to have a vision and a strategy, you know, but the proof in the pudding is actually doing the work. Once you have like, hey, everybody, you know, we're going to do this. We have people on our team that are a mix. We have people who are IT architects by training. We have people who are operations focused. They came from a practice management role. We have physicians. We have some MAs. We have people who um, even have like a legal background, et cetera. So we just have a plethora of skill set and we bounce around ideas all the time because we're operating as like an insular unit that can drive this kind of change, right? You know, we don't have to worry about a 300 person department to move something. Um, and that's just what worked for Virtua. That may be different for other organizations, but we found it a, a great way for us to rapidly yeah, deploy. Well, I, I think you're to be commended. And again, that's why you're, we're have you share because I think it'll be helpful because a lot of times people still operate IT or technical things the way they did 30 years ago and 20 years ago, and it does not work. So the model that you all have come up with, again, it's not, didn't happen overnight, but you experimented, uh, is, is really, is really key. And so, um, Angela can, you know, I know you're head of telehealth, you know, how can you explain just sort of what Danielle was sharing at a, at a macro level, but on a micro level, like with telehealth specifically. So, um, you, you're all integrated, you have integrated work teams, you know, how does that uh, actually work out? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So as Danielle was saying, the digital transformation office is an operational partner. So we also have our medical group, virtual medical group, wherein all of our clinical practices lie. So that's where our telehealth practices are. And currently we've got um, COVID on demand, actually, which I was talking about earlier, transitioned into a full-fledged urgent care telehealth. So we see everything urgent care in that practice. We also have our long-haul COVID program, Care After COVID, two remote patient monitoring programs related to COVID, um, and we will soon be launching a virtual primary care telehealth practice as well, which is going to offer, uh, you know, mostly telehealth, but also in-person offerings as needed. And those live in the virtual medical group, but they're, again, operationalized with the help and partnership of the Digital Transformation Office. And so I have, you know, one leg in each as well, and many of us do. And so we work in tandem to make sure that both the clinical and the digital aspects of care um, are accounted for. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Before we switch into actual other examples that you're all doing about our projects that help with transformation, um, I want to come back to something, Daniel, you mentioned, and you, you mentioned it really quick, but, and I know you've got it nailed down, but this is a hard one for many, many organizations. Can you talk a little bit about governance and how, how you operate the, the governance process? Yeah. So um, when there is an idea, um, and there was a strategy document that we started with, you know, two, three years ago, but even moving forward, when there's ideas that come down, um, not all of them are part of digital transformation, right? We might be there as a stakeholder. We might be asked to lead something. You know, it, it depends really what it is. Um, but once it is something that we're going to put some effort to work into, we have program areas. 
And these program areas are structured with a co-chair and it's not just another governance meeting, right? We don't call meetings just to have meetings, right? These are people that we've said, right. hey, this is a unique idea. It's something nobody's done before. If it was easy, it would be done already. We're asking to have insight from a variety of people that sit on governance. We have director of registration, directors of patient access. We have project managers on it. We always have a legal representation. We have people from Medifairs, HIM, clinical documentation. We have clinicians on all the EWGs. We have created the culture that we want to look at the digital projects with a lens from everyone at the organization. And it's not always going to be everyone. Like some projects, we have a home care rep. Some projects, we have a clinical triage, but maybe other ones we don't. A revenue, a billing, whatever. But we do really include them at the project level so that there is ownership about the work that we're doing and then they are the experts in it and then they become the the viral adopters and can share that downstream to teams so so that's been the governance approach we feel it's worked really well we are really fortunate um um, some of its relationship building a, a lot of it is that you know it's not like there's a magic thing like oh you just create a governance structure and it works you know a lot of it is influence and relationship so i will say that um and 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 before we continue ed there was something else that angela mentioned that i wanted to comment on one of the things that really is is a, is a great takeaway i think for people who are listening to this is angela said well we're working on those uh, programs, those telehealth programs in the digital transformation office, even though they are part of our virtual medical group. What's great is virtual medical group doesn't have the bandwidth and time to be iterating and changing and tweaking things on demand to make a system work, right? If something's going to go live there, it needs to go live correctly. So this symbiotic relationship um, which is very transparent is, hey, you guys get this all up and running and then we send it off, right? We're not really ultimately having ownership in all of these things, right? We tweak things, get it to a working viable platform and then move it into their world when they're ready to hand it off. So that's been really a, a lesson yeah. learned and a success point for us too. Yeah, that's that's a really good, really good point. Yeah, so we talked uh, already a, a little bit about leadership, virtual health, obviously, uh, and the governance, and then we talked about some examples. Uh, but I want to dig down into more more examples because you know people listening be like, "Oh, it sounds good in theory, but do they actually make this stuff work?" And uh, I know what the answer is, and that's why I want to give you an opportunity to share a couple examples. I know that because I'm part of the I'm on the advisory board for ClickSoft. I know, for instance, that uh, you you are doing some robotic process automation. Can you share two or three? Uh, key projects that have helped with transformation at Virtua? Um, I actually, there's this one story that I really like to share because I think it's really illustrative of how we've uh, leveraged our digital technology um, to really respond to the different patient needs that have come up, particularly during the pandemic when, you know, nothing is predictable. Um, so when the Omicron surge, the initial Omicron surge happened in December or January, um, 2021-2022, we saw a tenfold increase, tenfold increase in the number of patients who were trying to get to us. Normally seeing 50 and 60 patients a day, had 500, 600 patients every single day trying to reach out to us to get care. 
And that's a huge influx for, for an organization to manage. And it's one small department. Um, but we utilized our ClickSoft technology, which has a chat feature, and it allowed us to engage with every single one of those patients who tried to get to us, which you and I know would be absolutely impossible with your traditional telephone lines. Um, and, and even if you thought about electronic health records and trying to respond to 500 in-basket messages, you know, this, this is an absolutely new way of approaching and engaging with the community. Um, and we felt really, really good that we were able to address. Now, we could not see five and 600 patients in a day, but we could talk to them. We could address their concerns and we could get them scheduled for a visit if that's what they needed. And we were able to we were able to see, you know, most of the patients who needed to be seen. Um, and so that was a real, real win for us. And it was absolutely rooted in in the technology that we had at our fingertips and our ability to pivot and, you know, the, the real flexibility of our team, I think, is demonstrated there. Yeah, that's a great example uh, for RPA. Uh, Danielle or Angela, is, do you have one other example that you might share where you've done some digital transformation? Yeah, and I, and I think there are so many, but I think one that would be important to highlight is remote patient monitoring. So we stood up, actually right around the same time that we stood up the COVID on-demand service, we really rapidly stood up several service lines at once. We then stood up an emergency department remote patient monitoring program and an inpatient-based remote patient monitoring program, both directed at COVID-positive patients. And the idea behind this was to decompress the incredible volume that both the emergency departments and the hospitals were experiencing. So we were able to send patients home from the emergency department who may otherwise have been kept for observation or admission. We sent them home with a pulse oximeter, instructions, and uh, scheduled telehealth visits with a physician. Right? And on the inpatient side, very similar concept, scheduled telehealth visits. They were able to be sent home maybe a day or two earlier than they otherwise would have been. And they actually went home initially with a tablet, a Bluetooth-enabled tablet, but we then transitioned them to going home with a pulse ox only as well. So we would monitor these patients. So a physician would see them for scheduled telehealth visits. And on the inpatient side, there's also a nursing team that supports that project as well. So they would check in with the patient's vitals daily and a questionnaire daily to see how they were doing. Um, and I don't want to use very specific numbers, but the early data that we're starting to see come in is demonstrating really huge decreases on the ED side for repeat ED visits for those patients and on the inpatient side for readmissions. So when we compare those patients, patients who were not enrolled in the program or who were enrolled and didn't proceed, we're see, you know, that being the control group, we're seeing a really significant reduction um, in ED and inpatient utilization, which for us is huge, right? Because that's that's really good for the patient. That means that hopefully they're feeling better or they have the support they need to stay out of the hospital. And it also helped us as an organization because we were really um, we were really at, at our at our max in terms of capacity. And so this really, really assisted us in capacity management. And this continues to be these programs continue to run despite the fact that we no longer have capacity issues because they've been so successful and such a patient pleaser. And we think that they really increase safety. 
Ed, you know, um, you, I know you're an advocate for RPM and, and folks out there listening might want to know, well, how do I grow an RPM program or, or where do I even start? Because hearing all of these things, you know, it can almost seem overwhelming. Um, and we really have a mantra here where it's like, you got to start somewhere. Just do something small. I know that that is is really difficult for for organizations and and departments to do. But if you, we did, we did not start with you know seven eight service line areas you know two years ago. You know it 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 grew slowly. We learned a lot, and then now more rapidly things are happening. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. So I have two rapid fire questions, and then um, we're going to wrap up. So these are. Uh, rapid fire. I'll leave it for either one of you to jump right in. So how, so, and, and um, Angela, you did touch on it a little bit with the, your RPM example, but how do you measure success? Yeah. You know, this question is going to be different for every program, right? Um, but we're really big in the digital transformation office on data. That is absolutely critical to understand what you're doing well and what needs improvement. And I think, um, you know, obviously in a location monitoring program, we're looking at readmission criteria, but in other areas, it might be our patient satisfaction scores or it might be our antibiotic utilization. So I think the way that you measure success is different from day to day. But at, at a team level, um, I think we, we have had a really successful interaction and group, group dynamic as well. And that is just self-evident. And I'm sure Danielle has something to say on this as well. Yeah, I think that there's in many aspects, um, particularly the work Angela's doing, there is a clinical outcome that can be measured. And for every initiative we do, we truly do ask the team or the project we have to have at least one thing that we're measuring, right? And and we it's become part of our process. And so again, another lesson learned. You have to have at least one thing. Um, but at a at a digital transformation level, there are metrics across the board. It could be something from um, online scheduling, online scheduling within a specialty. It could be um, we're an Epic shop, so our MyChart activation. It could be. Um, folks utilizing e-check-in. It could be, are you receiving billing notifications? I mean, there are so many metrics that we are are tracking. Are you engaging with our chat bot? You know, how many people are going to our website, clicking something, and then actually putting it in their cart and booking it, right? It's one thing to put something in your Amazon cart. It's another thing to say, you know, buy it and charge my credit card, you know? So I think there's a lot of things depending yeah. on the digital project, project that you're working on that we track. We like to track outcomes. There is a financial component to this, but one of the setups that we have at Virtua is because we're an operational support department, the downstream areas that we are supporting for their digital efforts should see the ROI. Um, and that's just a philosophy we have here. Yeah, no, that's great. And then my last sort of rapid fire question is uh, maybe uh, think of a one word answer to what I'm about to ask you and, and see what you think. Um, see, see what comes out. How do you partner with a vendor for success? What's the key? I think it's really important to have consistent communication with vendors, consistent follow up, consistent goals and a consistent idea that's set in advance of the way that you're going to interact and the way that the relationship yeah. is going to proceed. And we're really looking to partner with really incredible vendors, including Brookzell. Um, I think, and again, it could be from my tech background, I truly appreciate a sales engineer. 
there have been a lot of vendors where that bring their sales team and they don't bring the sales engineer. And if they could read who is in the room on the conversation a little bit more, particularly now that there's a lot of spotlights on innovation and digital and IT, an IT person will definitely want the sales engineer person on the call as well as the sales pitch. <laughs> that is, both answers are, are stellar. The sales engineer, that's one, uh, Danielle, people would not often think about, but is so key to your point. So again, we, we covered so much. I mean, I, I literally have pages and pages of notes and I know there's like uh, 10 golden nuggets uh, in, in our, our drop today. Uh, and thank you so much. But yeah, I just wanted to mention a couple and then sort of give you uh, the last word. But uh, in some of this is sort of how I interpreted what you said. Uh, one is don't wait, just start something, start small. You utilize agile, basically uh, the MVP, the, the minimally viable product. Get it out there. Do not wait for protection, uh, perfection because it'll never happen. Uh, collaboration, uh, what you do stellar, your teams, your cross-functional teams, is key that, you know, you've really worked hard on breaking down silos, uh, the symbiotic relationship, uh, how digital is integrated with operations is, is key. There's not this, uh, a lot of people struggle with, you know, what I own, this is my territory, stay away. And then they, they build these swim lanes that only cause havoc and aren't thinking about the consumer like you are in the patient experience. And then some of the drivers that you all came up with in terms of the experience, how to automate, you know, going back to clinical experience, um, how to look what your competitors are doing and just staying, you know, up with what's what's happening in, in, in the entire world. Um, just so many different things uh, the examples that you gave in automation, telehealth, RPA, RPM. So that's why I wanted virtual health on here, because you all are do you're not just talking the talk, but you actually walk the talk and then you then the, you've got the governance in place and then the whole measurement, right? That's why I was asking about measure. How do you measure success? You guys are, have these measurements, both clinically, financially, operational. Uh, it's just fantastic. So that was like my quick summary, but I wanted to give you uh, each one quick last word as we wrap up. I thought you encapsulated our conversation so, so nicely and really brought out all of our really salient points. And the last thing that I would say is just that it's important to remember who you are. Um, our organization, we are not Walmart and we are not Amazon. We are a community hospital and that's who we serve, uh, community health system, I should say. And I think that's been really important to keep that in mind. We're not competing with those people, but we can do a lot of the same things that they can do. And um, it's just for a different audience. And so thank you so much. This has been really, really fun, Ed. I just want to say thank you, Ed. This is um a first for me and I, I truly appreciated the opportunity. Yeah. Well, you both are fantastic leaders. You're pushing the envelope, you're serving patients and, and clinicians. And I, I don't know, I get really super energized by uh, leaders like yourselves. So thank you again for being part of the podcast. And that wraps up this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, check out Virtua Health, the great things that they're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.